0: This is Overture, the Prelude Podcast. Welcome to the Prelude Podcast. My name is Christopher Willis, and I'm a Principal Security Researcher here at Prelude. Hi, I'm Alex Manners, and I'm a Principal Security Engineer at Prelude. And today we have a special guest, Jonathan Cooch. Jonathan, you want to give a intro of yourself?
1: Yeah, most definitely. Thank you, Chris and Alex for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name is Jonathan Cooch. Uh, I've been in the cybersecurity industry for about 25 years now. I've done everything from uh, started out in the US military, uh, through working in the US intelligence community and government on the offensive cyber side, uh, through defense contractors. And I was a co-founder of a commercial cyber threat intelligence company called I Say Partners, that was bought out by FireEye in 2016. And FireEye was then split up, and now Mandiant was bought out by Google Cloud, uh, and uh, went on to go work at uh, some other threat intelligence providers. And I'm currently the Chief Operating Officer of Shadow Dragon. Such a
0: wide background of things you've been doing. So. <laughs> I've, I've,
1: I've seen a lot. I've, I've been really lucky in, yeah. in what I've been able to participate in.
0: That's
2: great because we have a lot of questions spanning a lot of different topics here to, yeah. to talk through <laughs> over the course of today. And I'm sure we'll meander our way to some interesting tidbits that you can drop. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Definitely. <laughs> so we always start every podcast with a question to our guests. Um, so we'll start off with this one. Uh, what security technology or concept outside of what you're currently doing do you want to see get better in the next year?
1: So my my answer for this is going to be a little bit generic and I'm going to be disappointed in myself at first when I say it, but then you got (laughs) to let me explain it. Uh, I'm going to talk about you know, a little bit around artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Uh, and I'm not talking about the, the AI that everybody else is kind of marketing out there where AI will solve all of your security problems in the world. <laughs> uh, I think it's more of just, you know, the very simple like recommendation engine kind of machine learning. Uh, what you see on Netflix when it tells you, you know, what you need to watch next or other movies you might be interested in. Uh, I think a lot of that can really apply to the security uh, field and security operations because teams are forced to get people with less and less experience uh, that are out there. And how do you train up uh, junior analysts into different security fields, into incident response, into cyber threat intelligence or hunt teams and those kinds of things. And uh, I think a recommendation engine that will help these junior analysts leverage the technologies that are out there in a better way and leverage the experience of some of the senior analysts that are in place uh, will definitely help. And machine learning is one way to do that. Uh, So, you know, outside of the you know robots are going to take over our world and, and start impersonating human side of uh, of ai i do think some very basic machine learning uh, will definitely uh, i would like to see that get better in the next year and apply more toward training up junior analysts
2: Would you see some of that machine learning AI also start taking away some of the basic tasks that a typical junior analyst would do? Because I I feel like there's also a, a baseline set of tasks that can probably mostly be automated. I'm interested what your perspective is on that.
1: There is, but at the same time, uh, I'm a strict believer in the fact that decision-making, and maybe this is my military background, but decision-making needs to remain in the hands of a human being uh, who can actually look at a situation and look at the nuances of of the decision to to make the right choice. Uh, So yeah, there there definitely are some applications for AI uh, within those roles, but at the same time, everything is going to apply to that specific company, that specific organization uh, and and you need to make a decision based upon the needs and and requirements of that organization, and so that, that's where AI can be a little bit tricky because AI can tend to uh, supply a one size fits all solution, whereas you may need something slightly more nuanced.
0: So how? Yeah, I know DARPA has been looking at this. Oh, quite bit. Has- oh yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Dar- DARPA looks at everything, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> true.
0: This this has been a real heavy topic because of just the. Um, The amount of people coming in that's needed and the amount of training that's required uh, is such a, a big, big jump. Oh, yeah.
1: Over a decade ago. DARPA started doing some things around crowdsourcing, uh, if you remember that. Uh, and a lot of that is now being brought into the commercial world. There's there's another company that I'm involved with that uh, is applying crowdsourcing to cyber threat intelligence and security and, and the Hunt mission. Uh, and that is also just in, at its very basic level, trying to leverage uh, the knowledge of senior security analysts or senior cyber threat intelligence analysts uh, to be able to provide that to junior analysts that are out there, you know, when you crowdsource a problem, all right, here's what I'm seeing on my network. Uh, what does crowdsourcing tell me? What does all this experience combined experience of these other people tell me that I should do first
0: the hooking into Twitter and, Seeing what everybody comes out with,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't you don't always want to follow what Twitter tells you to do, but yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> gotta, at that point, you need to look at your sources of crowdsourcing. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm also interested in uh, kind of the other opposite side of this, which is like the more senior analyst position. So we have mm-hmm. we have the senior analyst, we have the junior analyst, and we have a plethora of other job roles. Um, what do you see the industry tending towards in terms of these job roles? This is a conversation we have a lot inside our organization is it's hard to train people when there's no real defined job roles. And we've talked about junior analysts, senior analysts. Could you talk a little bit about pipelines you've set up in the past for training people up from junior analysts and what type of roles you actually created?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a lot of it, and the term analyst in and of itself is also can be fairly generic. Uh, you have security analysts that are out there. So your traditional uh, security operations center or SOC analysts that, that are out there uh, that are just what I call staring at the glass. You know, they're the ones are operating with the SIM that are just watching these alerts go by and trying to decide, all right, what do I work on next? You know, wh- which one of these is actually a threat to the network? Uh, you have incident responders. You have vulnerability management folks. You have cyber threat intelligence analysts. You have red Teamers, you have uh, threat hunting uh, analysts, and so there's different kinds of analyst roles that are out there that you really need to take a look at. Uh, but when I talk about junior analysts, most of these folks. Tend to come up through the security operations field. Uh, cyber threat intelligence has been unique in my career in the sense that that's the one area where people have not come up through the SOC. Uh, they tend to come from governmental organizations or, or other organizations that give them that analytic experience. Uh, and so the the training path for them is a little bit different. But in general, I mean, everybody's kind of the same. You you want to train them up on the technology they need to leverage. You want to train them up on how attacks occur, who's behind these attacks, uh, and what to look for so that they can make quick decisions. Um, and then the real big area that I think is, is important is to train them, everybody that's involved in security, up on what does the organization do? You know, what are you trying to protect? Uh, in the military, I think they do a great job of that because it's kind of assumed when you go into the U.S. military, you know, you're there to protect your country. Uh, And so everybody has this common mission, this common thought in mind, and this common filter that they're applying to everything that they see. Uh, If I see this, is this bad for my country? Uh, And within businesses and, and outside organizations, they don't necessarily do a good job of that. They don't explain really what is important to the business. Uh, does the business care about fraud? Does the business care about intellectual property? You know, what area am I operating in that the business really wants me to focus in on, so that I can be successful in my job?
2: We talk a lot about that actually, because I also have a military background. I was Air Force cyber warfare, and everything go. always Same everything always <laughs> derive. Oh, awesome! Always good to meet fellow Air <laughs> Force. <laughs> Uh, But we always talk about starting from the highest level, so I can speak in military terms, you'll know, Uh, but starting at those strategic objectives and distilling them down into tactical tasks, tactical objectives, and then tying those into your cyber assets from a defensive standpoint. So everything ultimately bubbles back up into completing those strategic objectives. And what, what we find a lot is organizations struggle to bridge that gap between cyber asset the information that it supports, and then how that information ties to the operational tasks that actually drive towards their business objectives. And yeah. that's a big leap that a lot of companies are struggling to make. It, it, it most definitely
1: is. And, and you have it exactly right. I mean, you, you have to start at that strategic level. Most, I will categorize, Categorize that as, as most uh, commercial companies out there. You know, you want to increase shareholder value, and you ret- want to retain your your current revenue base. And so, from that very basic level, it's how do I apply what I'm doing day in and day out? I'm looking at packets, I'm looking at IP addresses. How does that apply to increasing shareholder value and retaining revenue uh, within the company? That's a very big leap to ask of somebody, especially somebody junior. You know, right out right out of school, or or just starting out in their career. And so you have to uh, apply a lens to it to where, all right, how is what am I what I'm doing going to be able to be communicated with these senior people that are looking at things in that big picture kind of way. And I, I always posed to, to most CISOs and CIOs that I talked to, I said, your, your role is really kind of to answer, be able to answer three questions on any given day. Uh, it, it's when a CEO or someone on the board is reading the news, you can't stop them from looking at the internet, unfortunately. And so they'll read the news, they'll read about something bad going on, and you'll get three questions. You know, have you heard about this? Are we affected by it? And what are we doing about it, if we are affected by it? And so from a security operations role, what you need to do is kind of look at it from that perspective. How is what I'm doing helping to inform whether or not this affects our organization in in a negative way? And what am I doing to help? prevent that or uh, remediate that you know, after it has occurred. And so looking at it from that kind of lens, that can help you bridge that gap from that tactical day in and day out, very network oriented, malware oriented kind of look that a lot of security operations practitioners have into that more strategic view of what will make my company and organization successful.
2: I think there's also an added benefit that we're not adding here. A lot of a lot of organizations that i've worked for in the past struggled to find funding for a lot of the things that they wanted to do in cybersecurity but if you can tie that directly to a, a, a revenue generating function of the business it becomes yeah. a much easier ask to go to your go to your organizational leadership and say we need this because if this fails it knocks out strategic objective number 1 you can't make money
1: yeah I mean, uh, we used to look at it in terms of, you know, we, we talk about APT actors and things like that. Uh, and a lot of them, at, at, you know, early on in my career, a lot of them were focused towards intellectual property theft. And so the the argument comes again uh, changes from that, you know, I'm looking at this piece of malware or even this kind of actor to, listen, we were able to detect this actor within our network. This actor has stolen intellectual property in in the past. They were going after, you know, this kind of intellectual property, which is our five-year plan, let's say, within the organization. It represents $200 million in revenue for the company. And so being able to directly relate what you're doing, what you're finding on the security side through the use of cyber threat intelligence, in order to explain to the seniors in a way that they understand as far as through revenue and profit, uh, how it might negatively impact them had you not detected it or found it.
2: What do you think has been the biggest challenge for companies trying to bridge this gap? And what do you think is the best way to solve that problem?
1: Yeah, a lot of it tends to just be the getting started phase. I think, uh, to, to, really be able to tell that kind of story of we detected this, this kind of, uh, attack and we were able to do something about it, uh, assumes you have an ability to detect it. Uh, (laughs) And myself, as well as many of my friends that have gone into different CISO roles over the years uh, are always faced with that. You you show up at some place and they just don't have anything in place. And so without that kind of story to tell, how do you justify that initial round of funding? How do you get everything in place so that you can detect what's going on? If your organization is being targeted by phishing uh, that's coming in through through email, uh, but you have no way to be able to detect or block uh, what's on your email server, what, what's coming in and out of the network. You know, how do you tell that story so that you can get that kind of service in place so that then you have some insight in, into what's going on? Uh, and so I think that's really the most difficult part of the, the battle today is, you know, how, how do you just get started? How do you get that infrastructure in place to where you do have insight into what's going on the network and then from there, it's how do you build through people, process, and technology a scalable architecture? How do we go from being able to detect one of these a day to being able to detect and, and prevent one hundred of these a day? It's a tough ask. It even goes,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it even goes further than that, and and, and like not just from a security analyst perspective, but even making sure that other parts of the business understand the threats that come yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, from the supply chain, like we always talk about supply chain, but, you know, it, it becomes a really big factor. Like it's yeah. it's interesting to see that, um, especially in some parts of the world where they can take, they use the same manufacturing and they take the same idea, but they may not have, say, the software yeah. <laughs> um, to be there um, or have... Uh, develop something that looks very similar <laughs> in capabilities. Um, and my, And so
1: <laughs> I, I've always worked with organizations where. That has been a big focus of, of companies, you know, supply chain management, third party relationships. Um, you'll find it's in it's all part of standard agreements now to where you have to sign up as a third party provider to a certain security uh, uh, level of awareness and, and detail and rigor within your own programs in order to be a vendor for my company. Uh, and so a lot of organizations have, have really been working on that, but there still are a ton of weaknesses out there um, to where smaller companies ne- can't necessarily protect themselves in, in the same kind of way. So it, it is really something that you do need to take a look at. Uh, but going back to your earlier comment around, yeah, how, how do you communicate out to the company? I think a lot of security organizations need to realize you know, they have to do their own marketing. You have to do internal marketing, sell yourself, sell your capability and what you're good for. Uh, Years ago, this is probably 10 years ago, I remember working with some large financials where they actually set up uh, what they were calling BSOs, business information security officers. Uh, So they had the CISO, but what they were doing is embedding a CISO within all their different operational groups around the world. Uh, And those people were the evangelists for the security team. Trying to figure out, all right, my group that I'm embedded within, how do they operate? What are their concerns? What are their needs? What are the weaknesses that I see and how they operate in a secure fashion? And be able to communicate that back then to the security team so that the security team can provide the right kind of coverage for, for each of those groups. And so I think, you know, where we're at right now is that when security teams are starting up, we're not doing security for security's sake you know i i often describe security as a the world's big biggest self-looking ice cream cone um you know we're we're not doing security for security's sake we're doing security for somebody for the business for another organization for the government for a mission and so you've got to keep that in mind uh when you're building up these programs and deciding what you're going to do and investing in in people, investing in technology, then you need to make sure that you have the right goals in mind uh, and that you're trying to achieve the right objectives or else you're really just kind of wasting your time.
2: Yeah. You actually reminded me of a a great article I read that was talking about uh, a CEO looking for their next ideal CISO and they described it as I want a general manager. I don't want a technical person. I want somebody yeah. who knows how to be a general manager and uh, use a military term be realize that you are a force enabler for the, the yeah. company to, to achieve its objectives. And that's very interesting. Cause it's, it lines up with a lot of what you're
1: talking about here. Yeah, no, m- most definitely. And I think, there actually was a change a little while ago where they were hiring CISOs that didn't have security experience. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, there there were some wins there and there were some losses there, most sure. definitely. Uh, and on the other side, you know, the hiring and more business savvy folks uh, into uh, security was was one area, but they were also, I call it the designated nerd. They were hiring security people into boards of directors. Uh, so like after the the target breach back in the two thousands uh, and after other t- times, they were trying to find people that had that security and technical background to be able to assist the board as they're looking at this high level. Uh, and a lot of it was around third party and supply chain and those kinds of areas to make sure that they weren't, you know, overlooking some key areas, uh, but still, they were trying to. They've there have been different attempts in different kinds of ways over the years to apply security within a business context and apply apply business within a security context.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the Air Force. I'm not sure if you followed the Air Force recently, but the the Air Force has uh, App Cyber. They had like a two star general that was an, a fighter pilot in charge of the organization for the longest yeah. time, yep. and. And I think the point that the the military made is when you're a general officer, you don't necessarily need to be the cyber guy. You need to be an operations person. You need to understand yep. operations, how to run an operation. And you fit you fit the technology and the domain to the processes that exist inside the Air Force as it already exists. That's you end up with the the whole joint targeting process that they go through for cyber fires. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's also kind of what we're talking about here, how you can have that that CISO that's business person doesn't necessarily have that cyber background, Uh, but over to you, Uh, my question would be like in your past, have you experienced the difference between those two and what, like how do you weigh the cost benefit there between a a technical person and a non-technical person in that role?
1: Yeah. And I think it really depends upon the organization um, going back. You know, it's funny that you brought that up about the Air Force, because I've I've had specific experience with that, you know, to where I mean, the Air Force grows fighter pilots. It's just the nature of the Air Force. Yep. Uh, and so they always try to I always joke around because I was not a fighter pilot that, you know, they just try to find fighter pilots jobs once they can't fly anymore. Uh, and so they tend to stick them into all these other roles under the guise of, you know, well, they have better operational knowledge and experience. Uh, but you look at the head of AFT uh, Cyber right now, the head of the 16th is is General Tim Honk. Um I actually served with Tim uh, when, when I was in. And he is, you know, he's an intel guy. He is a cyber guy. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And there are definite benefits to that. Um, When when you look at how the Air Force trains its fighter pilots, they kind of they give you some tests to see whether you have the aptitude to be able to do it and whether you have the physical uh, ability to do it. But then they go through and they train you how to be the fighter pilot and then they train you the operational tactics and procedures and and everything else like that. But you have to have some base level of capability as they've assessed it before you go through that, that process. I think we need to start applying the same kind of thing uh, to a lot of our security roles. Uh, You should have that base level of technology and security understanding. And then we can go through and teach you about the business, teach you about these other lenses that you can look at security through uh, in order to be more successful. Uh, I have not had too many successes when they brought in a pure business person into a security role, uh, mainly because it's a lot harder to learn the security aspect of things than it is necessarily to learn the business aspect of things.
0: That's interesting. Cause I, you know, I thought that it, the reason why they would put a business person in instead of a security person is that you would inherently want to trust every person that's got the boots on the ground right if you're if you're a security person you kind of like get in your ways and you're like oh this is what i'm going to do yeah and uh you have your certain ways that you do things but if you bring in a business person um the hope is that you would end up trusting your boots on the ground better. Yeah. Um, well, that's the hope. But,
1: but, well, so, you know, let, let's look at it from a special forces example. Um, you know, you, you want a special forces commander who can communicate what your boots on the ground are doing to the leadership to let them know we have reached this objective, whatever the objective ha- happens to be. Um, how would your special forces team feel if they stuck me in charge of them? You know, I can communicate up. I can I can send that message most definitely. But I have no understanding or idea what those guys are doing on the ground. Uh, I've never lived it. I've never been there. I've never had to make decisions the way they do. Uh, And so they wouldn't react well to me. They wouldn't be doing as well as they could be because I don't know how to enable them properly. And I, I look at the same thing within business. Uh, if we put leaders in charge of functions where they just don't have any idea uh, of how that team operates or what they need to be enabled uh, for success. But at the same time, I can but I can communicate up to the board of directors. So, yay for that. Uh, it, it, it really misses a, a big step in you know, the effectiveness of and the efficacy really of those security teams and the practitioners themselves.
2: Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. It's it's very much the military leadership thing of you got you have to build trust and your team has to trust you what you're doing, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and 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 you have to know what it is your your team needs in order to be able to support them as a leader, as a manager. Uh, but you know, we should just work on identifying uh, those people so that you know they can also communicate up.
2: Maybe we can pivot into some uh, some threat intelligence stuff now, because we've talked a lot about kind of business process and technology yeah. and leadership and organization. So one of, one of my personal hypotheses coming from the Air Force, I worked in an air operations center. So we were doing kind of yeah. a, the all-source intel joint fire collaboration. And I see a lot of focus on CTI. And it's always confused me a little bit because I feel like that's very siloed. And typically you want to have an all-source fusion process when you're making yeah. decisions. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Do you think uh, do you think we're too siloed on CTI right now and we should be broadening our scope? Or do you think CTI is what we should be focusing on and kind of the extraneous OSIN and human components that you might otherwise have aren't necessarily as important?
1: Well, I, I think it's important to know that modern CTI, and at least CTI as I did it at iSight, and like Mandiant, CrowdStrike, and Intel Force M1, and a lot of these companies really is, in, in essence, an all-source intelligence. Um, you know, they have their own human kind of capability. Uh, they have their own SIGINT kinds of capabilities, you know, with collecting and scraping and, and going out there and, and getting information. Uh, they have their OSINT capabilities where they, they may be researching people online through publicly available information. So it's it's a combination to where I think it might be a misnomer to try and label CTI as just one source uh, of intelligence. But at the same time, we have to realize the limitations uh, in the sense that when it comes to commercial applications, as companies are, are developing this, you know, at, at eyesight, I wasn't developing I was developing CTI for government and for commercial, but I wasn't developing it to be the only source uh, of intelligence. Uh, They had satellites, they had other capabilities the government could leverage uh, in order to bring to bear. Uh, And it wasn't my job or my role to try to replace that in, in any kind of way. What we were trying to do is really, I look at CTI as more of a traditionally in security, we've been very inward focused. Let me see what's what I can see, what's happening on my network and what I see happening inside my network. And then I try to fix it. I have this piece of malware that's calling out external. And so I'm going to go look at the machine that has that piece of malware. What else has that machine been talking to? All those kinds of things in order to scope and remediate. What we were trying to do uh, at the very beginning with cyber threat intelligence is give looking at it from a completely different angle. What can I do from the outside in? Let me talk about the bad guys. Let me talk about the groups that are out there, how they're operating, uh, what malware they're using, what are their, their goals, you know, what are their motivations and, and intentions to be able to give companies that ability of, all right, I'm a financial institution. I have this group that out, that's out there that is targeting financial institutions. You know, What are they doing so that I can now protect myself against those, those kinds of things? Uh, and it allows me to focus my security resources much differently than uh, just looking at what I'm being hit by today uh, and focusing in only on on that and reacting really to what's going on on the outside. It, it was an attempt at trying to be a little more proactive.
2: Um, and do you think there's a gap between, well, there obviously is a gap between what the government had, has access to and what commercial entities have access to? Do you think that gap is significant or do you think... Largely, organizations have what they need right now to get after these problems, looking from the outside in, as you describe.
1: Yeah, I would describe the gap as significant. Um, you know, I, I was very successful at selling cyber threat intelligence to both commercial and government. And a lot of people I worked with in, in the government military Um We really because we are a free and open society and despite what you you may hear or read about online, I think we do care about privacy and, you know, (laughs) those kinds of things. And so while, while there's definitely one offs, you know, for the most part. We we try to do things in the right way as as we define it. Um, And because of that, I think we limit ourselves from the governmental and military perspective as to what it is we can pull together. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I think open source intelligence is becoming such a big thing right now. Uh, The army just announced they're starting up a whole OSINT you know, group uh, to start to, to start looking at that, and I think they're doing that just because they're realizing, man, there's this whole area of information that could help us make better decisions that we're really not leveraging right now. Uh, and I think the same goes for cyber threat intelligence. As commercial organizations, they have access to so many more sources of, of information than the government and military may, uh, and so. The government and military, if they were really smart, are going to find ways to truly partner with these groups to leverage what they have, uh, not limit themselves to it. You know, I'm I'm never a believer in, in single sourcing information, uh, but you know, leverage that uh, along with what their own intelligence collection capabilities are, and then marry it up in a way that, that helps really support the mission in a positive way. Have you
0: seen the like? When I think of the gaps of CTI, especially from an organizational to government perspective, has been that a lot of organizations sort of see CTI uh, data as very um, close to close to home and they don't want to give it out um, and they tend to uh, don't want to share anything. And so <laughs> there's been this like, yeah. you know, I was part of a, a an academic organization that said, hey, we'll give you all the you know, we'll give you everything. We'll have this this center that you can use and we'll share all the data.
1: Yep. And no one wanted to do it. It's yeah. It so, you know, sharing is something that that I've been working with for you know 15 years or so now. Um it's a difficult thing. Uh, you got to get started. You know, it has to start somewhere. And so you look at uh, the, the U.S. government set up all these ISACs, uh, the information sharing analysis centers. Uh, there were like 32 of them. I think there might be 36 now uh, when they started up. But uh, the financial services ISAC, ISAC, is, is one of the biggest ones out there. Uh, and I think they, they started it out the right way, uh, which is... You know, they they kind of got a bunch of the big banks got together and said, listen, we're going to get together with all the smaller banks. We're going to get hundreds of members out there, uh, but we want everybody to share. But to sort of show that we're actually going to share, you know, all the big banks, let's start sharing our information. Let's start just flooding the channel with this to show people that it's okay to share this this kind of information. Uh, The downside of it is over the years, I think it became one of those things where the smaller organizations feel Uh, More pressure now to share. And so they end up regurgitating a lot of information. A real solid sharing program basically is is set up. And when I talk to organizations about setting up sharing, it's all centered around. I need you to share that critical information around what you specifically have seen on your network personally. I don't need you to share with me something you heard from somebody else or you know the the cousin of, of a friend of a brother's mother of yours. Uh I, I need to know what you have seen on your network. Uh, and so that I can take that as verified and validated information so I can take a look at it on on for, for it on my network. And As we set up these sharing organizations, that's how they really should should be modeled is you should only put in information of things that you have seen personally uh, so that it is of of high quality. Uh, And that really will help then open up the the kimono a little bit for people to start sharing more information, for people to feel comfortable with it. there's also the legal aspect. A lot of people tend to be like, oh, I'm not going to share because, you know, what if we were breached by this information or something else like that, that there are plenty of ways a to share anonymously. Uh, but B there has never been a prosecution against a company where they have been in any way harmed by sharing information. Uh, you know, so uh, I think that's, there's some, you know, misunderstandings out there in the market that the, organizations need to to make sure that they really do understand what the ground truth is uh, and that sharing is not a bad thing but at the same time you need to be careful about what you share so that it has value to the people you are sharing it with uh, and doesn't become just a fire hose of regurgitated information.
0: Yeah that was one thing that we when setting trying to set this up one of the things that was continuously talked about was how you talked about the 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 quality of the data yeah and and then also not knowing what to do with it right they would they would get the data they'd get the data from all these government organizations and not know anything on what to do
1: the the fbi used to have a really bad rap because uh, they would literally show up to your door and just be like uh, we saw your network uh talking to this ip address and so we need to let you know and it was and then that's all they would say. It would be like, have, have a good day. Um, and, you know, hey. people would be sitting there like, yeah, like, what is this IP address? You know, was, I have no idea. Um, but they because of classifications or ongoing investigations or whatever it may be, you know, they they felt a need to tell the company, but they wouldn't give them any context uh, around it. And so uh, that is what it comes down to. It it is, you know, adding in context around a lot of this uh, cyber threat intelligence information. I can I can tell you that knives are bad. You know, but, you know, knives can also be good. What you care about is that Jonathan Cooch is walking through your hometown with the knife stabbing people. You know, you need that additional context for, <laughs> yeah. for, to, to really care about it. Uh, and uh, by the way, just for the record, for anybody listening, I am not walking around stacking people with masks. Uh <laughs> But it, it is one of those things where the, that context is king. You know, you have to have some level of context around the information you're providing or else you can't really do anything with it. And that, that's really the genesis of, of cyber threat intelligence is trying to provide a lot of this context. Uh, So that organizations can do something with it, you know, that I can take a look at a piece of information, determine whether it applies to my business or not or my mission or not, and what I'm supposed to be able to do with it. If it's a command and control server, then I need to monitor for things talking to it. If it's a malware loader, then and that's something I need to look at through my endpoint detection mechanism. Uh, so, you know, it's really that context around this technical information we're being provided that is uh, needed in order to, to truly make use of it.
0: How do you see the, you know, talk a lot about the bigger business, but how do you see the small business being able to utilize CTI?
1: So small businesses really are going to have to rely on uh, MSSPs, managed service providers. Uh, I don't see many small businesses, A, being able to afford uh, cyber threat intelligence, or B, you know, being able to, to uh, leverage it in any kind of way. They don't have a team of analysts. They, they, you know, they're relying typically on these larger organizations to help provide their security. Uh, so what they should be looking for when it comes to CTI is they need to have a talk with their managed service provider to be able to say, you know, listen, you're, you're saying you include CTI as part of this or you're leveraging CTI to help protect me. You know, pass me the, the information as it relates to me. If you found an attack on my network and through cyber threat intelligence, we're able to trace it back to a ransomware group, to this APT actor, to whatever it happens to be, I want to know about it you know, they got to communicate that. And that's really where MSSPs are, are struggling is because a lot of times they're doing a lot of work in the background and they're not communicating that information forward down to those smaller companies and organizations that are out there. So that that company can't make an intelligent decision when it becomes time of, do I need to stand up my own security group and team? Uh, do I keep leveraging this MSSP? Where, what value am I getting out of the, the fees that I'm paying to my MSSP? Uh, so they need to just look at it a a little bit differently. But by and large, those small comp- small to medium-sized businesses are going to be relying on a provider to, to leverage CTI.
2: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because we talk a lot about even large organizations, Fortune 500, basically, they can only afford maybe one, two people to do, to be part of their CTI organization. And it's usually they're yeah. wearing a CTI hat and they're wearing a purple team hat and they have to do b- both of these functions in, inside their organization. And it's a little, it's almost absurd that uh, the security industry has reached a point where we're like, yeah, you need to go stand up a team to validate whether this product you just bought actually does what it's supposed to do. It's such a
1: and, bizarre concept. Anytime I get on a, a phone with a, a cyber threat intelligence analyst, uh, my, one of my first questions is always, you know, all right, what's your other job? Like, you know, because <laughs> it's its very rare that that's their only job. They're usually an incident responder, Uh, you know, that seems to be a very popular uh, career field to to transition, I guess, from uh, uh, to become a a CTI analyst. But uh, more and more organizations actually are getting dedicated uh, CTI analysts out there. Um, Like I said earlier, they are bringing them in from the government. Uh, A lot of my friends, and I'm sure a lot of your friends from the military, are are now finding themselves well-employed as this analyst. But it's It's a different world because, you know, now you're you're not just doing intelligence to try and gain intelligence uh, and there's not necessarily a program set up. You know, you don't have Intel requirements. You don't have a lot of these other things uh, to structure what it is you're doing. Uh, And so these people, unfortunately, are having to sort of figure it out for themselves as they go along. I am now outside of the military. I am now operating within a corporate environment, which is completely strange to me. I'm now trying to apply uh, cyber threat intelligence into a security operations realm that I may not be all that familiar with. And so there's a lot of pressures that we're putting on those people to try and get up to speed really fast uh, and be experts of what they do uh, without necessarily enabling them.
0: Like looking into, say, Amazon for instance. I think Amazon's a really good uh, case for this, where they hired a lot of people from government to come in. Yeah, and it's very government-driven, even though it's it's a commercialized company. And yeah. So if you look into that space, it's it's almost the same.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, and you know, but at the same time, I think commercial organizations can benefit from that, uh, but you need to go at it very purposefully. I think, unfortunately, a lot of commercial organizations find themselves there by accident uh, and it doesn't benefit them. You know, things are not as well organized as they had hoped and they end up kind of throwing away the cyber threat intel aspect because it was like, well, I brought these people in and we bought these expensive feeds and, you know, now I'm getting nothing out of it. Uh, Whereas you really need to approach it in the right way uh, to make sure that you're you're building up your security program in the right way, but you're doing it in a way that benefits the business. Uh, And I, I I hate to keep saying that over and over again, but so many organizations that I've worked with over the years, that is the key thing that they're missing is they just don't relate what they're doing to the business itself.
2: Well, I keep going back to it because it's the most important part. It's it's yeah. explaining your value proposition to the organization. Why do you even exist in the first place? And if you yeah. can't do that, of course, it's going to be hard to achieve anything. And, and And those Intel requirements you're talking about, those should derive from the objectives that your company has and the yeah. threats that are targeting that space.
1: Exactly. And, you know, there, there's a, a, a few great analysts out there that I've had the, the pleasure to work with over the years that have tried to do that within their commercial organizations. Uh, you always get that kind of side look, you know, like you want me to set up a priority and tell a requirement. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, Like, this is not the military. I don't know what you're thinking. Um, and so it, it's also hiring, it's hiring that right first person, I think, you know, the person who can once again, bridge that gap is it's almost like the CISO junior, if you will, you know, rather than the CISO hiring into the CISO that understands security and can talk to the business. Now you're talking about somebody who understands cyber threat intelligence, but can talk to the CISO um, to be able to, to explain what they're doing and how they need to grow it and where they're going in the future.
0: Do you see one specific sector doing it better than others?
1: Uh, I would say no, d- different sectors are, are doing pretty well. I mean, financial services has always been much further ahead than everybody else, but, uh, actually retail and hospitality, uh, ha- has been doing really well over the past few years. The energy sector, uh, has been doing pr- pretty well over the, the last few years. Um, you know, but, all of that changes depending on, you know, what aspect you kind of look at it, you know, energy sector has to defend against in essence, two networks, you know, there's the networks that run everything that send power along or or do the oil and gas extraction and and processing and those kinds of things. Uh, But then they also have their IT networks for their uh, corporate environments. And so, you know, they're, they're leveraging it, but maybe not as effectively as they need to, but they definitely have started up programs. And, and a lot of those programs have been very successful over the years.
2: Um, I have a, a question a little bit away from CTI. Uh, we, we use attack a lot, attack. Everybody knows attack. I'm curious. Yep. What the, what do you think attack gets right? And what do you think attack gets wrong?
1: <laughs> so I, I actually, I'm a huge fan of attack. Um, I I actually was extremely surprised when they first published attack because I come from the offensive side. And when you look at the attack model, it's basically an offensive roadmap. Mm -hmm. It is, it is telling you how to conduct an attack, (laughs) you know, it's the (laughs) attack model. Uh, And so I I was stunned when when I first saw it. Uh, I thought it was a great improvement upon the Lockheed Martin kill chain. Uh, I'll put a quarter in a, in a jar in a little bit to pay those guys for saying that. But um, you know, just because the the kill chain I think was a little more generic uh, and a little more difficult for organizations to implement and leverage, uh, attack is very specific. Uh, but I think at times that detail works against them. So, you know, where, where its weakness is, I would say is probably in that level of detail uh, and having to constantly keep it updated because TTPs are changing all the time. Uh, And so it, it, it's very difficult to leverage attack in your technology when you have to have constant updates to that technology in order to make sure that it's being mapped out properly and into the right categories. Um, it's also, MITRE, I don't think has done all that great a job at showing organizations how to leverage attack uh, within their security operations. You know, if, if I ask the basic question of how do I use attack to tell a better story to my business and how I'm protecting them. That's a difficult question to answer. Um, yeah. you know, um, attack can be a very good tactical and operational kind of tool, uh, to leverage, to give your teams better awareness of what's going on in your network. What, to, what else to look for, what else might be going on in your network, um, or to trace it back from an attribution kind of perspective, um, attack can actually actually help one great strategic application of attack can be if you map out all the incident responses you've had over the past year against the miter attack model that'll tell you where your security is weakest uh, where you might need to invest so sure. Once again, I go back to my phishing example. If if everything's coming in through phishing, and I map that out in the MITRE attack model, uh, but I have no ability to see what's coming in through my email server, well, then I have a really great risk argument to take up to my board of directors to be able to say, listen, most of our risk is coming from this one attack type that we have no ability to protect ourselves against. So I, I need 500 grand to invest into you know this kind of technology to help. Uh, protect my network better. Uh, so attack can be leveraged at the as, at the strategic level, but I don't think a lot of organizations are really doing that. They're still looking at it very tactically. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: But and I like that you're try, you're again tying it back to like a revenue generating type of function for the business, right? It's yeah, it all I mean, boils down to hey, we need this because it's putting your revenue generation mechanism at risk, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: otherwise it's just cool to look at. I, mean, you know, I could I could spend hours on the website just clicking through different TTPs that are all tied together, but uh, unless I can you know have it matter to to my board of directors, it it doesn't really you know affect anything.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting from the from attack. I think some people look at it as a roadmap, like as you say, sort of like a you're going to do this and then they're going to do this. Oh this, yeah, and this right. Whereas like even when I create TTPs for operator, like. I don't look at that like I create my TTPs and then I kind of tie that back. Right. Yeah. Uh, Tie that back to the attack framework. And that's how every attack goes. Right. Yeah. And so if you're looking at it um, uh, from the standpoint of, okay, well, this is the roadmap and this is what we should be expecting or looking at. Like that might not be the the best way to go about doing that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you, you look at it. You know, all, all the bad guys out there, and, th- and this goes for APT organizations as well as cyber crime, you know, they're running a business or, or an organization themselves, you know, they want to be as efficient as possible. They want to, they want to increase and maximize their profit margin. Uh, and they want to, you know, they don't want to have to bring out the, the specialized weapon when they can just use the, the run of the mill every, every day kind of thing that's out there. And so they have their own requirements. All right, here's my intel gathering requirements or here's my operational requirements. Here's the goal that I'm that I'm trying to reach. Now, let me figure out how to get to my goal. And so first thing I'm going to do is look at my targets and all right, what do what do my targets have in common? What's what's the best way to how do they operate? What's the best way to get in there? Then I'm going to kind of scan them and and look. I'm going to do some reconnaissance. I'm going to look around and kind of see what's in those environments. I'm either going to validate my assumptions or I'm going to I'm going to prove them wrong. And then I'll I'll adjust. And then, you know, from there, I need access. I've got to get I just got to get one foothold in Uh, once I have access. Is this a long term thing or not? If it is a long term thing, I want persistence. I want to be able to hide from you. Uh, And so what what can I do to be able to hide from you so that my software stays on there as long as possible? And I don't have to go through all of those early, early things all, all over again. Then once I'm on your system, how do I get the information that I'm looking for? You know, and once I get it from your your system or if your system doesn't have it. All right, great. What else does the network have for me? Let, let me move out and spread out because we know what's better than one place, multiple places. And so I always want to want to get my fingers out there and, and, and be involved in as many things as I can. And then once I collect everything I want, guess what? I've got to get get it out of there somehow. Uh, and so, you know, attack really just walks you through all the different ways of doing all of those things that are part of any normal, you know, attack cycle that, that somebody has. Um, and so, you know, having the business understand that so that you can set up security in a way to be able to protect the business always helps.
0: So we got one last question for you, John. Um, what security resource in the past year have you found really helpful?
1: Uh, This is slightly embarrassing, but I'm not afraid to admit it. YouTube. (laughs) all right Uh, you know my my current job is still in the the threat intelligence area but it's more open source intelligence uh and it's going about things in a different way than i've done traditionally and historically in my career uh so i have found a lot of the youtube videos for people that have been involved in this area for 10 15 20 years uh to be very useful uh to, to me as i'm as i'm trying to do research and just find out do things about you know uh, uh, my company, what what we do out there, but just about the OSINT area in general.
2: Sure. Any uh, uh, YouTube channels or videos you'd recommend in particular?
1: Uh, no, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I just I kind of hop around, and that's the one thing I do to tr- throw off the Google algorithm is I won't <laughs> subscribe to anybody, and I try to <laughs> you know watch as many different things as possible so that I don't get you know, all the same thing recommended every single time going down there. So (laughs) unfortunately no shout outs to anybody just because I I like a bunch of the different channels. Awesome.
0: Well, Jonathan, thank you for coming on the podcast and talking with us.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate
0: uh, spending some time with you guys. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Overture, the Prelude podcast. Alex and I would like to thank Jonathan again for coming on the podcast and talking with us. We'll be back next month for another two episodes of Overture. If you like this podcast, please consider giving us a like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our newest episodes. Overture is distributed on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast. We're also on our blog, so it's at feed.prelude.org, and on our YouTube. We'll see you next month. Till then, Prelude out.